Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. We thought it'd be helpful as Kyle finished off the, our study of, of the letter that Peter wrote. Um, that'd be helpful to kind of come back, circle around, and, and kind of have a, more of a conversation about uh, some of the things that we have um, we've been talking about and things that we've been having conversations about. And two things that keep coming up um, are, are, are the whole idea of, of we as priests and how that's maybe something that's hard to get our heads wrapped around, and secondly, this whole issue of suffering um, that are presented in, in this letter that Peter writes to the chosen elect exiles um, throughout, throughout um, the region and, and writes to us. And so this morning, we're going to kind of have a conversation about that, and hopefully it will be helpful as, as you continue to process and think through what does it look like for you and I to be priests and what does it look like, um, what does suffering look like? Not suffering from the sense of we live in a fallen world, uh, bad things happen, there's evil in the world, but, but more precisely, suffering on account of following and obeying Jesus. Um, what does that look like? And, and so kind of to, to, start, to start off, just a little bit of background. You know, one of the things that at least I've had some conversations about with people is, is trying to figure out this whole idea of priesthood and how we're priests, because typically when we think of priests, we think of the Catholic Church and priests in robes and things like that. Kyle, Kyle had a great, great thing last week that he kind of talked about the, our, our perspective of that. But, but um, you know, being a priest, priest, priesthood goes far, far, far back beyond um, the Catholic Church. Uh, in Exodus chapter 19, God makes a covenant with Moses. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. And it's a conditional covenant. Um, a lot of the covenants God makes with his people are unconditional covenants. Um, when you look back to like the covenant God made with Noah, the Noahic covenant that God said, I'll never again flood the earth and destroy the earth the way that I did in the flood. Um, and that's unconditional. That depends on God's character and his ability to keep his promises. But the Mosaic covenant in Exodus 19, it's interesting because God says to the children of Israel, to Israel, he says, I will make you a holy nation, a holy priesthood. You will be a, a nation of priests. That was God's side of the covenant. The, the Israelites, the children of Israel, their side of the covenant was that they were called to obey God. So basically, if you obey me, I will make you a nation of priests. And just know that from well before the idea of priest became something that, that was lofty and lifted up and above and over other people, God in his heart wanted to have a people who followed him who were a people, a nation of priests. Not a title, not a position. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament and see all of the things, there's shepherds in the Old Testament, there's prophets in the Old Testament, there's evangelists in the Old Testament. The one title that doesn't come over into the new covenant is the title of priest. Why? Because 
If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a priest. It is not an additional thing. It is who we are. And, and so kind of unpacking what, what this looks like for us and, and how we're priests. Yeah, I think for me, if, when I think about priesthood, um, I think one of the important things to realize is that it's something that we've been talking a whole lot about uh, recently. How do you be a priest? Um, the very foundation of it is our closeness with Jesus, our intimacy with him, and our obedience to him. Um, we are all called uh, to be close to Jesus, listening to him so that we can know what he's saying, so that we can then go out in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and the schools we're at, wherever it is, and be for him a representative of God to the people we're, we're around. So the things we've been talking about for a good year, almost year, more than a year now, about um, being close to Jesus every day. And then from that closeness, hearing from him and going out and obeying him in our world, um, that is so much of the calling of priesthood as it, as it stands. Yeah, and uh, one of the big things I think for me that has made this like a really important conversation to have, because I think a tendency in the past, or I feel this sometimes, and maybe you feel it too, is when, when we run into things in Scripture that feel like so foreign to us, it's easy to just kind of shove them off to a side place, because it's like, I'm not quite sure what to think about that, and it would take a lot of effort to figure it out. And so it seems like it's not that huge of a deal, so I'll get to it maybe sometime. Um, one of the things that has brought this to such center focus for me is uh, just understanding like the, the greater story of Scripture. Like we know that, that one of the best things we can do with the Bible is read it as like one whole story, the story of Jesus, right? And so it's not, there, it's great at times we can, you know, zero in on different sections of Scripture and they say important things to us, that's important. But if we can see it from this big picture, um, I think it becomes so much more potent and especially in this idea of priests because when we go all the way back to the beginning, I was amazed as I was, I was going through this, like, Adam and Eve were priests in the garden, which had all this like language that was similar to when they would talk about the temple and they would co-work with God in bringing about like his plan for the world. And as we see the story of the Old Testament go, we see people's conception of God's presence and God's leading get more and more confined. It wasn't actually confined, but their, their conception of it was more and more confined, right? We see we see Adam and Eve walking in the garden with God. Then we see Abraham listening to God. But then as time goes on, you know, we see God, uh, his spirit resting in the tabernacle, in the tent of meeting, in, in uh, the Ark of the Covenant, eventually in the actual brick and mortar temple, and then eventually all the way to this one room in the temple, the Holy of Holies. And as, as people's conception of God's presence in their life became more confined, the power of a certain cast of people to work on behalf of God and speak on behalf of God also went up to the point where when Jesus showed up, you know, there was like one ultra priest that was able to go into the Holy of Holies and he might not even make it out of there alive. And so that's why it's like so significant when Jesus died on the cross, right? If we've ever seen any Easter play ever, ever made, there's always that part where the curtain is ripped in half, the veil is ripped in half, right? And, and that signifies that the presence of God is not confined to a place or a certain type of person but his spirit has been poured out on all people. 
And so it's this, it's this confining, confining, and then Jesus busts the thing wide open, and we see all through the book of Acts and human history of how the church, empowered by the Spirit, goes out to do the very things that the priests felt like only they could do at that time. And so it has just made this so significant for me because we still struggle with this, and we have throughout human history, I think, at, at there's these waves, right, of us realizing our calling and then us delegating it off to other people. Um, there's been lots of waves of that. Yeah, I, I think the thing that we have to understand is that we, everyone in this room who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are a priest. You have a priestly role. Um, that is the bottom line. I, when, I, when I think about, um, you know, the passage in, in, that we read earlier in the, in the service, uh, chapter 2 of, of 1 Peter in verse 4, it says, as, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And, and I think for me, one of, the, one of the big things is that when you, when you think of this, okay, so if, if we are, again, We've, we've got to get away from the idea that, that somehow church and the body of Christ is about coming here to this building. Um, the body of Christ is out and, and everywhere you are, that's where Jesus is. That's where the spiritual house that's being built. This is not the spiritual house. You and I are the spiritual house together. And, and so when he says that you're to offer spiritual sacrifices, what does that even mean? And, and I think one of the things that has hit me is that when you go back to what the priests of Israel did, they would take these, these offerings, these animals that people would bring to them, they would slaughter them and they would place them on the altar and present them to God. And in effect, what was happening was those priests, their spiritual sacrifice was to take this animal, slaughter it, put it on the altar, and, and basically offer on behalf of the people, intercede for the people with this sacrifice toward God, and then the priest would mediate, represent God to the people. And so for us, when you think about who we are and what God calls us to, is that we are priests, and our spiritual sacrifice is us presenting God's character revealing God's character to people as he is revealed. So it's actually humbling ourselves, not representing God as the God we want him to be to other people, but the God who he is to other people. And that is a sacrifice on our part because we often want to represent God differently, don't we? And so our spiritual sacrifice as priests is to represent God accurately, his character to people and intercede for people and bring people to God, which is a sacrifice on our part because that means we intercede and love and bring people who we don't like, who we're frustrated with, who, we, who are actually against us, and we intercede and we pour out our lives for them as a spiritual sacrifice. That is the spiritual sacrifice that Peter's talking about that we as priests offer God. Yeah, and I think something that's going to be helpful for us is, you know, we've been using this word priesthood a lot, and, so, and I'm sure many people in the room are like, you guys keep talking about that. I'm still, like, having a hard time, like, picturing what does that mean? How do I do that? And I think some, like, reference through the past, um, 
would be very helpful. Um, when the church first started and Jesus gave his great commission, he said, go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to do everything I've commanded. The, the very first uh, church, it was, a, it was a mission. The church was a missional group of people who were sent out to make disciples. And then as more disciples were made, certainly they were organized into different local, um, you know, expressions of that body of Christ. And there were leaders in the church. But through time, what we saw is, especially when the church kind of coalesced into what was called the Catholic Church, things that used to be decentralized became more and more and more centralized. So now the church began to become the mediator between God and man rather than Jesus. I had to come to the church to confess my sins. I had to come to the church building for a special person named a priest to say a special prayer over the communion elements so that it was beneficial to me. And we saw this in history, great centralization where you had to come and these special class of Christians called priests or bishops were doing the work and you were receiving from them. And then the Reformation came and, and there were some really good changes that happened with the Reformation that said, hey, no, God is not just about this locality of these churches. We, we are the church. We are the priesthood of believers. But sadly, throughout the movement of Protestantism, which we are a part of, some of that centralization that was gained in the Catholic Church wasn't let go of. And so it's very easy for us now in the modern church to look at the church and say, my job is to get people there. And it's those professional Christians that it's their job to give them the gospel. That couldn't be farther from what scripture says. We will continue to give the gospel here, absolutely. But what this, this uh, doctrine of the priesthood of all believers is, is that the church is a decentralized movement of disciple makers. Every one of us who calls Jesus Lord is a part of that. And so it's not about bringing people to a special class of trained professionals to do the work. It's that every one of us is filled with the Holy Spirit and equipped to be that representative of God to other people and to lead them to Jesus. You realize that Jesus is the head of the church, right? Not Matt. Matt, they, some people call him senior pastor. Some people call him lead pastor. He's neither. Sorry for demoting you. I'm good with that. Jesus Christ himself is the lead pastor of this church. Jesus Christ is the senior shepherd of this church, and Matt is a faithful follower of Jesus, and he's a leader in his church. But we follow Jesus, not a man, not, not a group of people. We follow Jesus himself, and he personally leads us. We have got to unlearn as much as we've learned, I think, sometimes. You know, as you were talking, what, what it's, it, tell me if I'm wrong on this, interpreting you. It, it sounds like, from what Travis said, I'm, I'm thinking how the church started out really as a mission-sending organization. Gathering was important, but the real reason they gathered was to send. And then over time, the church became, rather than a mission-sending organization, it became an organization that just fed itself 
and did a, a bit of sending. And then when we moved into like the Reformation and that, what we did was we really like the idea of this machine moving and we like the concept of that. So we kept that, but then we had other agencies do the sending. And, and so like it, it, we've got to almost, it's, it's kind of like scripture and, and this idea of priesthood is that we come together, but we are sent people and that the church must be something that is more focused and bent on sending than, um, than feeding itself. You interpreted me very well. Um, I would, I would say, I speak Travis. <laughs> I, would, yeah, I would say this is that um, we have been, we've gotten to the place too to, in a typical modern Western church where we not only have given up the sending portion of it, we become what's called extractional. We become so about what happens in these four walls and on this campus as a church that we're constantly having y'all here for stuff. And where are you not when you're here? You're not in your neighborhood. You're not with your friends who don't know Jesus. And so we've begun to extract people out of where God has called you to be. And, and, and that kills the mission of the church because it's all about being here. It's all about doing things together as Christians. And we will always need to meet as the body of Christ. We will always need to, in some way, shape, or form, come together. Scripture commands it. We can't be healthy without it. But we've given up, I think, so much on the sending. Yeah, and I, and I think, to be really honest, uh, us going out from here, this has been like my prayer like a lot lately, is like whatever happens here is important, and I'm glad for it, but I pray it's just a fraction of what is happening like in our church, our church being out there. Um, I think we've flip-flopped that, and it's been easy to do because we feel like that where all the good stuff happens is here. And then that feeds into that idea of like, well, then we just need to get people here. But I, I would just say, even as a word of encouragement to all of us, the conversations I'm having is uh, that is not flying with people who don't know Jesus. Um, the, the days of, hey, we're, we're going to have a rock concert at the, at the church, and that song you thought about was about like a girlfriend or boyfriend, it's actually about Jesus. Would you like to hear about Jesus? You could sign this card, and then we'll let you go eat pizza or whatever. Um, like, I really do think that people are not here for the bait and switch anymore where it's like, we do this great production or giving away all this stuff, and so come in here, and then we'll try to twist your arm into swearing allegiance to Jesus unto death, like that's ever worked, you know? And I get, like, good intentions. I'm not, like, bagging on the past people are working with what they have, and I think that's been a big part of our process is we are only responding to what God has continued to reveal to us as we see things clearer and clearer. But I think, I think the days of that are on their way out if they're not already well gone. And uh, I have, like, this dream for our, like, youth ministry and our church, and I don't know if this is 100% right, it's just an opinion, but how cool would it be that, like, when people walk in the doors of our church, like, they're not walking in blind, like, not a one of them. Like, that when they show up here, they're not like, wait, what is this? What am I experiencing? That actually they have all kinds of foundation laid because we are fulfilling our priestly duties, and they are, like, primed and ready to go, that when they walk in here, maybe they've already given their life to Jesus because we've helped represent God well to them and interceded on their behalf to God. Or um, maybe when they walk in here, they're like, they're like ready for it. Um, that's not a new thing. And uh, I think that would be incredibly encouraging movement to be a part of personally. Yeah. So simplest, simplest way that you understand it, um, what is it to priest as a verb? <laughs> and what is it to be priesting 
Yeah, I think a big facet of that is what I said earlier, that every one of us sees our relationship with the Lord as not only crucial for ourselves, but crucial for other people. That my connection and, and, and uh, intimacy with Jesus and my willingness to obey him, it's not just for me to be a good, holy person. It's because people need Jesus. And if I'm not close to God, if I'm not spending time with him every day, growing in intimacy with him, growing in a willingness to actually obey his commands, it's not just me that's losing out. It's the people who need to see Jesus through me. And so that commitment every day is not just being close to Jesus for my own sake. Yes, it is so edifying to be close to Jesus for me, but also for the sake of the world who needs me. So intimacy with Jesus and obedience to his commands, that we would be so close to him that we know what his voice sounds like. And when his voice speaks, we say, yes, I will obey. I don't think we can be priests um, in, our, in our lives without being in that place personally. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, and then I think for me, it's just been really helpful to just keep that mindset. Like, I know it's easy to want like practical is like step one, two, three, but I do think that listening to the spirit sometimes pushes us beyond like the marching orders kind of situation. Um, but I do think it requires us to have our eyes open all the time and not see this is the place where God does his thing, but that being the place where God does his thing in addition, maybe more powerfully. Um, so to see my friends, neighbors, baristas, workplaces, wherever we find ourselves, like seeing them through that lens and then being obedient to what the Spirit says to us because we're close to him, I think that's a ticket. Yeah, yeah I think... Um Again, in, in chapter 2 uh, of First Peter, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may... Okay, we are a priest. We are a priesthood. Why? That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And what is the excellencies of Jesus? The excellencies of Jesus is that God knows you no matter where you are, and that you can know him no matter who you are. And so that's the job of a priest. Every one of us who calls Jesus Lord, that means that you are called to represent God's character to them, basically saying God loves you. And you are to, to bring people toward God, intercede on their behalf. Let them know that they, there is a way they can know God and they can know him personally, not through another person, but through, through Jesus Christ, and that he made that way. And, and that is proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus. And so it's interesting because, and I, and I kind of hesitate, and I want to say this, if you are triggered and you're offended in this moment, understand that's not my intent, and, and, and I'm not downplaying things that are important, but there are some things that are of ultimate importance. We are not called by Jesus to fight a culture war. We are called by Jesus to be priests who represent God's character to people and draw people and intercede on people's behalf, bringing them to him. And, and I think it's so easy for us to get off track. Our sole purpose being here is to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. It's not to fix the dark world because the world is dark and it will continue to get darker. We will not fix this world. And so the, the way to, to 
to proclaim the excellence of Jesus is not, through, is not going to come through the gaining of power in this world. It is going to be through humble priesting in representing God to people and drawing people to God no matter what it costs us. And if we are doing that truly, then there is a guaranteed thing because of the, the God of this world, we will face suffering because Jesus faced suffering when he fights that world when he displays his love and his forgiveness and his lordship and his kingship. And so what does that mean? Because this idea of us being priest is directly tied to what Jesus says, that you will suffer, and what Peter says, that you will face suffering. So jumping into suffering, um, you know, it, it's hard because, you know, what does that look like for us? Yeah, I think we have to be very aware that um, as Christians, we live in a very odd way of being Christians, a sliver of history and where we live that is different than much of what the world, as much of the Christians who've lived in the world and through history have experienced. The freedom we have to come in and just even do this, to sing songs, proclaim the name of Jesus publicly. Law enforcement can come in this room, do come in this room and worship here with us. We can say the name of Jesus, speak the name of Jesus, preach the name of Jesus, and we're not in trouble for it. That is awesome. I'm so thankful that that is the way it is now. But we have to realize that in the history of the world, that's actually rather rare. We think it's normal. It's not, you guys. It is not. Places around the world like right now, many places around the world right now, that is not normal at all. And so it's wonderful that we can worship Jesus freely, but I think it also disables us in a, in a way. Because I think the church of Jesus was meant to prosper under pressure. And I think it's really easy for us to get um, caught up in our lives and the things we want to do and in working towards retirement and whatever things capture our attention. It's very easy for us to get focused on those things because we can. But there are people in the world that all they can do is wake up every day and say, I got to live this life. I do have to make a living. I got to feed my family. But I'm called to be a priest in God's kingdom that is dangerous for me. And so, God, I need your wisdom on how to walk that through today. For us to not realize um, that we live in a very rare um, ex experience of Christianity, I think is unhelpful for us. We have to realize that um, suffering has purpose. This is also the first time in history, um, I was reading a book um, about a year ago that was talking about this. this, is the first time in history where a culture uh, in general, whether a Christian or not, has, has, doesn't have built into the way they think about life uh, a purpose for suffering. This is the first time, it seems, in the history of the world where uh, there's whole societies that when you talk about suffering, they say, it's horrible, just get through it as quickly as you can, and there's nothing to learn from it. Um, not that we all feel that way, but that's definitely where a culture is and is heading, that, that suffering does not serve a purpose in life. Um, and so we've got to be aware that we've lost the ability to see what God does through suffering. Even just the everyday suffering, not, not the, the stuff that comes from following Jesus, but like when you're in pain. Don't waste that. When you have relational issues and you're grieving because something in your family is happening, yeah, that's sad. That's, we don't want that. We don't want to stay there longer than we have to. 
But am I going to allow the Holy Spirit to change me through it? Do I see that as training for when the time comes? Because if we think that this freedom that we have to worship Jesus is going to last forever, we're fooling ourselves. It will not. I personally believe um, that we are heading into the last days of this world. I'm not a prophet. Don't necessarily believe me. But I don't think Jesus' return is all that far away. So we have to embrace the fact that there's going to be a lot more suffering for the name of Jesus. Are we allowing God to use this, the regular everyday suffering that we go through to train us for when that day comes? Yeah, and I think for us to understand and respond well to suffering, I think what Travis is saying is, is right on, that we need to see it like clearly for what it is um, and whether or not we've experienced it or not. Like we have all experienced the suffering that comes from just living in a broken world like you were talking about. We need to respond well to that. And I think it's also helpful to us to be able to read like in First Peter and just honestly say, I do not have a category for what he's talking about here. I think we need to do that. I, we, it's so easy for us to like do g- gymnastics, be like, no, I think I've experienced something like that. <laughs> Let's just be honest. No, we haven't. Vast majority of us. I'm not trying to paint a broad picture here, but the vast majority of us do not know what it's like to physically suffer or even emotionally, mentally to this degree suffer for the name of Jesus. We just don't. And the sooner we can admit that, the sooner that we can respond better to it. And as I've been thinking about this and trying to wrap it up in a way that's helpful as I think about it, is it kind of seems to me like when it comes to suffering, we're kind of, because of where we live in this time and space, we're kind of like trust fund kids when it comes to suffering. Like we've been given something that we have not earned in all of this freedom and comfort and safety, regardless of where you're at, like socioeconomically or your history or where you've been. Reality is comparatively to history in most of the world, we have received an absurd amount of comfort, safety, freedoms, and abilities. And we have a choice with that. We all have pictures in our heads of like the worst kind of trust fund kids, right? They're just constantly using it for their own benefit, what they want. They're entitled to it. No one could dare say that they need to give any of that up. Or if every trust fund kid took all the stuff that their rich families gave to them and used it for other people, man, what an incredible impact that could make, right? And so recognizing we've been given all this, like this this huge lack of suffering, um, how, how awesome would it be if we used all of that freedom and ability to resource people who really are suffering or like wrap our heads around uh, the concept of one day when that will come, which, which it very well might. Um, I think that that has been really helpful to me that I don't, I didn't earn any of this comfort safety that I have. Um, so I'm not going to hold so tightly to it. What if in fact I used it well to further Jesus mission? Like what if I used every bit of freedom and ability that I have to further Jesus' mission. That's, that's compelling to me. So Kyle, remind us uh, when your book, Trust Fund Christianity, comes out. Oh man, <laughs> gross, <laughs> I'll never write that book. Yeah. <laughs> he needs a street team to build excitement <laughs> about it. So if you're interested, there touch you base with Kyle. There you go. Um, should be good. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> one of the conversations I've had with a number of people, because this idea, we are familiar with suffering just not as familiar with suffering because of Jesus. And so one of the questions, some of the conversations I've been in is, is about the idea of, okay, well, I haven't suffered for you. Do I pursue that? Do I look for that? Do I go out and find ways to get, be, suffer, be suffering for Jesus? And, 
And no. <laughs> um, that's, in fact, back in the early church, when the church was being persecuted, it was honorable and not, um, it did not taint the gospel message or, or uh, the lordship of Jesus in their lives. Um, in fact, it was, it, many Christians in the early church would hide from, from persecution. Um, and that was okay. That was a good thing. Um, people didn't pursue martyrdom. Um, they didn't go out looking for it. Um, when we see in Acts, Stephen was stoned because he was preaching the excellencies of Jesus. Um, he didn't go out looking for that. But in that case, the Spirit asked him not to run from it. But people moved from one city to another to move out of persecution. In fact, that's one of the primary ways God actually spread the gospel was for people moving from a place of persecution into another place just to take the gospel with them. Ultimately, being priests in a fallen world will result in suffering and persecution on the because of the name of Jesus. So, so it's not that we have to manufacture suffering in the name of Christ. We probably need to take a step back and, reckon, and say, am I really being a priest in the kingdom of God? Um, and, and I think the other, the other thing, uh, along with this idea that, that we live in kind of the sliver of, of, that is different from his, the history of, of the people of God. Um, I, I think I live by this assumption that um, the church will be most effective, we will be most effective if we have freedom, if we have wealth, and if we have privilege. Um, and that, that makes sense, doesn't it? That's logical, that the church, we, our church could have the most impact in the world. And, and here's the thing. Um, the, the church has been extraordinarily wealthy and prosperous. Um, we've had extraordinary freedom. In 2011, there was a, a study done in, in, to find um, unreached people across the globe. And, and, and I don't remember what the number was, but there was a number of, of unreached people. And um, in 2018, another study was done with this, kind of the same parameters in that found in 2018 that there was more unreached people groups and people than there were in 2011. And think about that. Between 2011 and 2018, the Western church was extraordinarily prosperous. We had no limit to our freedom. And how did that impact the global kingdom of God? Somehow, there were more unreached people. Part of that is because people weren't going. Part of that is because, because the, the, the wealth in the church stayed in our little communities. And again, I don't want to be offensive, but this is just most of our wealth was in a bucket to entertain the saints. And it didn't go to push the mission forward into the kingdom. And, and, and so the evidence seems to be contradictory, that my assumption that if I have greater freedom and greater wealth and greater prosperity, then I will be better able to move the mission of Jesus Christ forward. Actually, what we see in, in, in history is that the, the excellencies of Jesus have a greater impact and move out more quickly and more effectively when the church is under fire. And I don't necessarily want that, but that's just true. 
And, and, and so I think we've got to recognize as we, as we recognize our priestly nature that Jesus gives us, and as, as we do that, we will face suffering. And, and I think Jesus says, I know Jesus says, if you follow me, you will suffer on my behalf. But I think in a lot of ways, within our context, we have disagreed with Jesus and we've proved him wrong. Because what we've done is we've said, okay, Jesus, I get that you say that I'll suffer if I follow you, but not if I elect the right officials. Because if they have my values, they'll protect my freedoms of religion and no one will persecute me on account of Jesus. And I'm not saying it's, it's wrong. In fact, it's good. It's, it's good to vote for people with good values. But here's the thing. That's not going to stop if we are truly being priests for the kingdom of God. And so we, we need to walk with Jesus that way. Um, before, we, before we end this morning, um, I want to invite uh, a team of people who, who on Thursday are um, heading down to Santa Marta uh, in Mexico. And um, they... Uh, the, the unique thing about this group of people is that they all feel that God has, is calling them into potentially full-time ministry uh, going, being sent. Um, that some of them are kind of at a place where they believe that God might be moving them in that direction. Others are already pretty much, I'm going, I just, I just need God to give me where. And, um, you know, I... I uh, I want us to pray for them. Um, but you know what's interesting? I, I was thinking the other day, in fact, Friday, Sherry and I were in Murphy's, and, and I was in a store, and I came out and, and ended up talking to the guy who owns the store, and we were chatting for a while. And as I left, he made this statement. He said, stay safe. And I thought, man, how many times do we part ways and we say, stay safe? Like, that's just a thing. We are obsessed with being safe. When was the last time that you parted ways with somebody and you said, hey, take risks? Has <laughs> anyone ever said that to you? <laughs> and I'm not saying be foolish, be unwise, or lack discernment, but I don't know that, hey, stay safe is what is presented in God's word, especially as we've talked about being priests and that leading to suffering. Um, I want to just kind of introduce, I was, I was yelled at by someone last, last hour um, that no one knew their name. So Jacob and Paige and Madison and Jake and Anna and Allison. Um, and um, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and this will connect with Allison at least. But um, you know, it's interesting, when, when our kids were growing up in our home, um, when they went somewhere, when they left the house, um, uh, we didn't say, like, be safe, but one of the things Sherry said all the time to our kids and still says it to this day is she says, make good choices. And I think one of the things that we need to recognize as priests and how we need to communicate with each other, I think we need to call to each other to make priestly choices as we do whatever we're doing. And so I think the challenge to you guys um, is go and, and make priestly choices. Um, and I want to invite, if some of these people belong to you, I want you to come on up here and um, go ahead and come up here and, and, and stand with them. Um, 
lately I've been under growing conviction about who I am and who, who the church is, who we are as a church. And I think for a long time, looking at how we use our resources, we have, again, because we live in a culture that affects us and we have blinders, I think we spent, spend the, a majority of our time and energy on entertaining the saints and making sure we're comfortable. I think we as God's people have got to become a sending church. And that will cost us. It'll cost us our comfort. It'll cost us our opinions. But I believe that God is calling us to be a sending church. And so that means either you're going or you're sending or you're disobedient. And so as, as I've been thinking about wanting to make every moment of my life going forward matter and, and, and mean something for God's kingdom, that that's what I want to leverage. That's what I want to do. And I'm just excited about this group of, of young adults who are going down to pursue what God may be calling them to. I'm so excited about that. And that maybe God will begin to stir us to be a church that sends, that cares less about ourselves and cares more about being priests and sending and even us going where we are Wherever you are at work or at school or at play, that you are sent into that place. And so right now I want us to pray, and, and um, we've got a few microphones up here. And uh, those of you who, who these people belong to, um, if you, I would ask maybe a few of you, some of you, if you could pray as, as, we, as we send. And um, I want to ask you guys to stand as we do this. And you be praying, whether out loud or silently, um, God makes sense of all the noise, but um, if you're here, up here, and you want to pray for some of these people, I want you to pray and um, just kind of go where the Spirit leads. So let's, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for these um, amazing people who you have called. Father, would you fill them with your Spirit? Would you empower them to be priests where they're going. Father, would you speak clearly to them all about what you're calling them into? And would you um, give them the peace and the joy that you are with them? Father, move in them, we pray in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for each of these people. Lord, I just pray against the spirit of fear that you give them the spirit of power. Lord, just thank you for those days they have in this place. God, we come before you, and, and Father, we ask that you move in a powerful way through all of us. God, that we accept and recognize our calling as priests. And I pray for this group of, of six people 
God, I pray that you will work in and through them no matter where they are, this side and that side of the border. God, that they would, God, that they would engage and live in the midst of, of other believers who are also part of this holy nation. But God, that they would also um, represent your character in the way that you have revealed yourselves to others. Father, that they would, they would draw people toward, toward salvation in Jesus Christ. God, we, we know, and it's so hard to even admit it, but God, your kingdom doesn't grow by acquisition of power. Your kingdom grows by perseverance and unity under the lordship and the banner of Jesus Christ. So Father, I, I pray that, that as their witness goes out and that as you, you, the Holy Spirit, you work in their hearts and their lives and you bring them to a place of complete surrender and you guide them and direct them as to where you want to place them in this world for your glory and for your name, Jesus. I pray that they would respond in obedience and surrender and that they would as priests perform their spiritual sacrifices. And God, that we who, who are called to, to, to send, that God, that we would reevaluate our lives and how we live and how we work and how we use what you've given us, that we would leverage ourselves for those who don't know. And God, for those even in this room who you are working on their hearts and that they know that there's a call set before them, God. Give them courage and give them faith and give them contentment to go and do what you've called them to do. So God, I thank you for bringing this family together. And I pray that we would live in the light of your love and your salvation and that we would proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.